1: Hello. This is the Britflix Fight Fest Preview Series
0: 2019.
1: The Britflix Podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast Frightfest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Samuel Gridley. Hello. Hello. And Luke Cale, hello. Hello there. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on when everyone's listening to this. Uh, It's good evening. In fact, we're both in the same time zone, aren't we?
2: Yes, we are. Which is
1: freaking novel, I tell you. (laughs) It's like I'm saying good afternoon to people as they're waking up and all kinds. So it's nice to be able to say good evening. It's nice the sun's gone down. London, can you cool down?
3: Yeah, it's it's a nice evening in Soho, but it's been a bit hot today. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, yeah. It's ironic though, wasn't it? the, the weekend, it pissed it down for the entire, for everyone as they get their days off work to be. Oh,
2: yeah. we had a barbecue. Oh, well that, done. that was, yeah. It was the classic British barbecue, huddled under an umbrella, trying to avoid any raindrops.
1: Good one, good one. Always the, keeping it real. Now, yeah. we've, not, we've not come to talk about um, the weather of Britain, nor. Outdoor eating. We've come to talk about your film, Criminal Audition, which is having what premiere at FrightFest?
2: It's having its, its world premiere. Wow! Let's yeah.
1: have, uh... <laughs> There's only me here, so I can I can only be one audience. No, I,
2: I, it's I, one clap's enough for us. It <laughs> very easily satisfied. But
3: then you can multiply afterwards, and it's all about the economy of it. You know, you can, you can sound like an audience in post production.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed. If you think I can do that, then you've grossly overestimated my technical tele- <laughs> abilities. Um, I can talk, but me and computers—we, we—they just do—they just do what they want. Um, now, before we go into any detail, does one of you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what criminal audition is all about?
3: Yeah, so criminal audition is kind of like the X Factor, but for people that want to be criminals, and it's for people that are down on their luck. They don't have much going on in their life, and they think. Well, maybe what I can do is just go to prison for a few years for somebody else's crime. I'll get the money. I might even get a bit famous, but I'm not guilty. And uh, well, I know that I'm not guilty. And then I'll be able to sort my money problems out. And then the criminal audition is the process of finding those people. And um, in our film, uh, there's a client that comes into this regular process that kind of turns it all upside down.
1: Cool. Now, uh, you directed it, Sam. I did, yeah. And the pair of you co-wrote the film, yeah? Yeah, yes, correct. Cool, cool. Right, well, we'll go into more detail on that in a moment. But Mm -hmm. first, it's the 20th anniversary of Frightfest, So I'm asking all guests to tell me something from their 20th year that stands out in their memory.
2: Yeah, well, uh, for me, uh, very much uh, straight away, and it actually ties in with with Criminal Audition a bit, is um, around that age, well, exactly that, I was just finishing my my master's in creative writing, and I was about to have to face the very real prospect um, of entering the real world uh, and trying to find a career in film, um, which was lovely and daunting. And the first thing I did was write a short play called A Criminal Audition, um so if anything it was my twentieth year was the beginning of a huge roller coaster ride of trying to create this.
1: wowzer I actually yeah. thought you were gonna say I was going to prison. <laughs> I was just like for some reason I was thinking wait a minute, this is too meta, this. If he just Yeah, take it up, yeah. <laughs> and Sam?
3: Uh well mine's not gonna be as synchronous and brilliant as that. Um <laughs> But I, I was, at my 20th year, I was in my first year at uni
1: mm-hmm.
3: at studying film.
1: Yeah.
3: And I spent my 20th birthday with people I'd only met about two days before, Lovely. two American chaps, and they were just, uh, yeah, that was just a regular kind of 20th birthday. But at the time, I suppose I remember that year being where I discovered that you know, films not just such a narrow kind of view. You know, it's it's uh it's not just kind of the vertical slice of Nolan, Tarantino. It's kind of you know it's Otsu, it's Curious it's Bergman as well. Um, and yeah, it just opened my uh, my view on on films. Was yeah. it
1: out of interest? Was it was it film school suggest talking about these as examples of film, and then you're like, I've not seen these, i better watch them. Or are, are your lecturers saying these? this is like your book to read, watch this film?
3: Well, I think for me, I'd always been so interested in films and just watched films constantly from when I remember, and probably watching films a bit too young for what to, to understand them and things like that. So I knew all these names, and I mm. knew it was right to kind of Know it in my kind of knowledge, like, yeah, I know who Bergman is, but it's to really understand what they're actually doing and what they're saying. And, and kind of, I think a lot of people are, are a bit kind of reticent because they think, oh, this is this is film history, and it, it you're just telling me that it's good because. Uh, you think it's good and i i don't necessarily think it's good but that's fine to not think it's good you just should know what these guys were saying
1: yeah 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 i remember i remember being at a screenwriting class and the person showing us started with Leggetti, and i absolutely hated it and mm. i was like what's the point of that and then mm. spent the next 3 to 4 weeks with it on my mind yeah by which point obviously i've con- i've now gone full circle on myself yeah and realized it's a work of genius
3: yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I love coming back to, th- especially because I think I did kind of front load myself with lots of films and kind of buy them on DVD and and watch them. You know, I I think I definitely remember trying to make all my mates watch yeah. Mean Streets yeah. yeah, and being like, Well, of course it's brilliant, and I and they didn't like it, and me kind of not liking it as well, and then coming only a few years later and and actually appreciating why it was good and. And um, yeah, I love that kind of rediscovery of things.
1: I'm going to say sometimes it's a bit like, um, like if you go to the Louvre and see the Mona Lisa, it can never be as as brilliant as knowing about it your entire life can make it seem.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: Sorry, yeah. Luke, you were going to say something?
2: Oh no, I was just going to say it. it similarly, when I was learning film, my first thing was Lars von Trier, and uh, to this day I still struggle. So that. That hasn't changed in my age.
1: What uh, what film? What film did you go in at? Uh,
2: the Idiots. Uh, okay. Yeah, which uh, that was like his first. Yeah, it's part of obviously when Dogma '95 was really being pushed out there with the musical instruments being played behind the camera, all these kind of things. But uh, yeah, very much struggled with that one. Very much struggled. I'd, rec-
1: I'd recommend Antichrist. It is certainly one of my favourite horror films. Ever made. Yeah, I,
2: I love that film. Yeah, I will have to say I have not watched that, so maybe maybe there we go. I can I can give give uh, Lars von Trier another try.
1: It's somewhat removed from the Dogma '95 filmmaking.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more kind of slick and classical, almost. Yeah,
1: indeed. Well, look, let's. Uh, that's our film. That's our film lesson done, right, everybody? Yeah. Put your pens down. Listen to these guys <laughs> talk about their film. So let's start at the beginning, and obviously you've given me the beginning with your 20th year, saying that you wrote this this short this short play called Criminal yeah. Audition. I'm presuming that's not a coincidence. Um, no. <laughs> so so let's, because what I like to ask people, and obviously given you did it as a short play first, where for you does the idea of auditioning to be a criminal come from? Where, what was the kernel for you that sort of went, oh, I know, we're not going to commit that idea to pages?
2: Yeah, so it was a bit of a weird one where I think coming out of uni, there is that panic um, how am I going to get into film? What am I going to do? I don't know anyone. Help me! Um, and I naturally just looked for competitions um, within playwrights and stuff. And there was a competition being held for uh, short play submissions. And I happened to, and I can't even remember how I found the article, hmm. but I came across an article uh, about, um, and it was about set it happened in China, and it was that uh, someone had gone to jail who they all thought was actually a doppelganger. Um, And it wasn't the actual uh, criminal they wanted. It was someone who had been, you know, uh, hair shaved and cut down and the body had been, you know, uh, reworked to look like um, the uh, original criminal. Um, And it just just made me think that it would be a fascinating thing if, you know, changing it up a bit and expanding on it. What if this was actually a uh, scenario that played out across the world, uh, in these underworld organizations. And, um, it just, it just struck me as something that, because, because again, this competition, I thought it needs to be punchy. A short play needs to grab people straight away with kind of, you know, very unique concepts. And I was like, that's it. We're going to, we're going to go with that. Um, and yeah, and then it really just flowed from there because then I wrote it as a feature length play after that. Um, and then uh decided after a few years after that to to try and make it into a feature and that's when the real joys uh, i was going to say
1: so what what so I'm guessing I'm guessing it played as a feature length play
2: yes but very different and when I when I, I mean genre changing so uh, as a feature length play it was a farcical comedy because I felt that it kind of suits because it's such a preposterous idea in many ways yeah that it suited that nature to have these outlandish, wannabe criminals and crazy underworld organisation. But then when we came to adapt it into a feature script, Mm. and Sam joined me, um, we slowly found out that the comedy became black comedy as we tried to ground it in a real world scenario. And then even some of the black comedy started to drop out when we realised if this was going to be serious and if this was going to be happening to these people it's quite brutal. So yeah, suddenly yeah. found ourselves changing the genre and the style.
1: But uh, I'm right in thinking you, because obviously you star in this film as well. Was you, yes. Was you always in the play? Was that a constant? Yes. So it was a one-man yeah. play to start with, and then it became an ensemble play, and then it becomes a film.
2: Uh, the short, the, even the short play uh, had around six characters. Okay. Uh, okay. But yeah, but I've I've always been the same character. But again, uh, Ryan as the character has changed dramatically as well, um, from being a bit of a wise-cracking goofball in the play to a much more um, self-righteous bit of a wimp uh, in the feature film. Um, Yeah. So So, it's been fun shaping that.
1: Okay, so Sam. Yeah. What have you done to him? What have you done to his play, (laughs) making it into a film? What was that conversation like between you two? How did it start?
3: Well, I, I... Well, we, we, we met through, we actually met uh, when I was uh, doing my final year films at uni. Okay. And I was uh, helping on a somebody who is actually our, our director of photography on Criminal Audition. Right. But at that point, he wanted to be a director and we were making a short film and Luke was in that short film. Got you. But then, uh, probably uh, three years later, we reconnected uh, because I wanted to be a director and I had. Done that school, uh, uni, etc., etc. Mm. And the first conversation was, in in very general terms, was to make it more like a movie, movie, you know. Mm. So to make it more like a thriller, slick kind of thriller that, um, you know, on the crime genre that kind of um, really uh, maybe takes the British crime film and twists it a little bit, but kind of relatively conventional. And then I think what happened was. We, as we worked on it and our sensibilities slightly changed and we learned and we grew over, you know, three, four years, um, it kind of went back to being quite like a play Mm. because the film's set in an abandoned theatre. A lot of it is kind of theatrical, it takes place on a stage. We play with light, with stage lighting. um, And it kind of just made sense to go back to this route because the characters in the film are all liars and they're all kind of acting and trying to pretend to be something they're not and a stage kind of felt like a really apt place to, for that to be yeah so it, it it wasn't a conscious kind of reference to where the origins of the film were but it definitely kind of synchronized with that quite nicely and i'm sure
1: it's, i was going to say so how how did you how could you give it given you've just luke's described it as 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 Growing into this farce that's mm. maybe a bit silly, and then going darker and darker to the point that it's black humour, not haha humour. Yeah, um, was that was that a gradual process, or was that like you saw that that darkness right in front of you and you started heading for it?
3: I I think um, it's inherently dark because maybe in a play. Um, this kind of concept of people giving up their lives and, and pretending to be criminals is for an audience what it is is it's it's kind of I, you know I know it's not true I can see it's theatrical I know you know I've just had a glass of wine, I'm sitting down blah 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 And obviously great theater can make people think they are somewhere else. but I think when you commit something to film it's way more real way more grounded and you're kind of saying that it's almost like it's fact and you're building a world where this happens. And I think that, um, therefore, it just is inherently darker. And and that's
1: really interesting, that, because obviously yeah. the nature of film is you have things like cinema time, don't you, where we can, yeah. we can move forward, yeah. and the clock can go minutes, hours, months, years mm-hmm. even. And, mm. and, and as long as it flows as a, as a narrative we can, we, we're already on, yeah, we can buy, it, which obviously that's that's beyond the limits of a stage play.
3: Yeah, yeah, and everybody innately speaks that film language because we've all watched films like mm. forever, um, our whole lives, and so I think that when we were approaching it, we at first we definitely were going for more kind of a, a thriller kind of genre thing, and then we kind of wanted to bring back the farce into it and kind of talk back to the roots from where it came from because it is absurd Mm. a lot of what's going on and the characters are larger than life and it's kind of... I've always thought the film is... If reality is kind of a line in front of us, it's just stepping to the left. Mm. Like it's just outside of our own reality and... You know, a a lot of the technology is analog, and it doesn't quite—it's quite chime with each other. And I I think we're just kind of saying, this is a world where this happens, but we're to is a real world for the time that we are watching the film.
1: Mm. Yeah, Yeah. got you. And also, you—you because all the secrets can only be revealed, and um, we can only—we can only know what people are prepared to share and/or what they're hiding once it's revealed it's it means you've got control of um of how the drama pans out so whenever it begins to make perfect sense or maybe get nearer to the line of normality you can push it again and go ah no we're still we're still the wrong side of reality even though it feels real
3: absolutely yeah and it's kind of like a rubber band reality where you can stretch it so far but then you can always ping it back so that people actually feel for the characters and Kind of understand what they're going through, or um, where it's where those universal themes are kind of on the line, and then you stretch the rubber band in order to have fun.
1: Where, Luke, where do you think where do you think this film is sort of morally? What judgment is it making? Um, I
2: don't. I don't think we've really gone out to make uh, a flat out judgment because I think I don't want to delve too much into the characters and their choices. But one of the things we kind of allowed ourselves to do and not having much, um, I suppose, outside influence. A lot of a lot of films, even indie films, obviously have so many cooks mm. that there's always, there's always someone that goes, no, we definitely need to make the overarching met- message this. Mm. Um, and one of the things we've kind of allowed ourselves to do, and you may have heard me earlier say, describe my character as a bit of a wimp and, and things like that. And Ryan could often be described as, as the central character in this. Um, so it was very tempting to, to, and originally some drafts did have him as a bit more heroic and a bit more upstanding and wanting to point out everyone else's flaws. Um, but what this has allowed us to do is kind of uh, dabble with characters. And we have villains who you are hopefully watch the film and then question whether or not you actually support them a little bit. Um, we have our heroes who maybe you could say is Ryan, but really is he or is he just maybe just living in a lot of hindsight um and we had, so I, I mean look the the one thing we 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 do suggest in it is we do play on the idea of of money and uh, how much money is is someone's life worth and are the uh, the 1% so to speak um are they able to just throw money around and, uh, and bend people to their whim um and that's certainly something that we we've, we've, we suggest and 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 point out, and it and I suppose it it could have quite a lot of relevance to to real world situations, and but maybe not as brutal as this, but um certainly certainly in the way that people are led and manipulated uh, by the promise of money. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think we've really enjoyed creating characters that are grey, and I, I think we had our industry premiere a few months ago, and one of the things I really enjoyed about hearing people uh, from the industry come out of the cinema afterwards was that I think everyone had different ideas about who they wanted to get behind who they wanted to support um, and I think that's something that we definitely maybe not in early drafts but definitely in the in the later iterations of the script uh, tried to achieve
1: yeah because in, in a sense watching it you you shift point of view quite regularly hmm um, which means that there's, there's the reason I ask the question, really, because it, it, in, in a sense, you could, you could be really, you know, sort of pithy and say money's the root of all evil. You know, the minute you start putting a price on anything, mm. then everything's got a price. Whereas I suppose we shouldn't, in theory, be able to value life and we shouldn't be able to value our own life relative to time passing <laughs> yeah. know, kind of thing.
2: No, absolutely, and I, I just think the the one thing that we really wanted to do was was really have audiences come out and and as you as you said we, we do have this sort of uh, perspective shift. Um, you know, I think there's there's an often tendencies maybe in in crime genres uh, to to try and make the the good and the bad be very clear, um, but here we we kind of have played with the idea of the villain and we're not wanting to give too much away. Um, obviously, we've got two excellent uh, villains that come into the film at the start, but we hope uh, hope you maybe question why they've done it because one thing I always said, and I sound like a broken record with this with Sam, but is that if you were to rewrite this script from their perspective, um, and they're the characters of Morris and Mrs. M. Mm. Um, this can actually be seen as a, a heroic stand for them. Um, so yeah, we we definitely wanted to play with 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 character arcs and and yeah that grey element to characters.
1: Yeah, because because the big the, where, where the sort of the big question mark that I had watching it, and mm. I won't I don't want to spoil anything, but if I if I just say the arc that Preston goes on, yeah um, yeah, when when his arc's complete, mm. I was I was kind of a bit lost then, you know, in terms of. In terms of whatever, whatever might be deserved or not deserved, in terms yeah. of that
2: character, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite an interesting character. We had a lot of fun writing that one actually, because it was just such an unusual, uh, unusual character. Because um, I, I mean, we can shed a bit of light on that. Uh, I mean, uh, Preston is one of the three people that audition to be the criminal. Mm. Um, and whilst the other two have very, um, I suppose I wouldn't say valid reasons, but much more uh, obvious. Reason, obvious reasons. They're that motivated
1: you... to be criminals much more yeah. than Preston
2: is. Yeah. Yeah. Wh- whereas, uh, I mean, this is quite early in the film, but whereas Preston's motivated by a, a dark fantasy, um, I think we use the term criminal tourist. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's certainly a, a, a quite a fun, a fun character to create a, uh, Sam, do you want to...?
3: No, I I was just thinking back to about, like, does the film have a message, and I I think that the film is kind of, you know, in a sense, a morality play, and often morality plays aren't telling you what you have to think, but they're giving you a question, and people come out asking what they would do in that situation. What would I do? How much would you have to be paid to do this, to do that? Would you go through with it? And, you know, everybody comes up with certain conditions that they would, <laughs> they would do it. And so our characters are people that have looks at that, that morality problem and, and thought, actually, do you know, what? I could give this a little go.
1: Hmm. Now, it's, it's a fair, like you've already suggested, it's a fairly contained world that we watch yeah. this film in. And you yep. mentioned your DLP already mm. and that was what was your conversations like with Richard Osborne about the look and feel you wanted to achieve with uh, with Criminal Audition?
3: Yeah, well, um, me and Richard <clears> known each other a long time and we have a very much a shorthand um, working together and we, we have the same tastes and we just kind of know what what we're going for. So that's a really great relationship and a really important relationship. Mm. Um but yeah, what we spoke about was, I mean, it, it evolved because he was attached to the project as long as I have been, if, if not longer. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we, when we decided on it being in one location, I think that we just wanted to have each room that, uh, that the film takes place in to have its own personality. Mm. And so even though you're in one location, you get... Um, a variation and you get a a mood for each of those rooms and it makes you feel a certain way. And so I just wanted it to feel claustrophobic and like we we couldn't get out. And that's why we kind of see a lot of um, ceilings and light bulbs and you know, things invading the frame because we feel like we're elbow to elbow with everybody all the time. Got you. And um, I think that what was good because we had to shoot quickly and uh, in a short amount of time was because we had it in a a theatre that we could actually rig lights and get away with sometimes seeing them in the shot and uh, things like this. But also there was kind of a pivot in the story. And as we've alluded to, it's kind of uh, we we meet these people and there is kind of a change in the film and things start to go a bit wrong. Mm. And we basically didn't move the camera um, off the off the tripod, off the sticks until that point. And so at first at first it was a very kind of controlled environment where. William, who runs the auditions, is very much in control. And as it unravels, we get a bit more movement in the camera and we get a bit closer to people and we kind of get a bit of cabin fever. That was the general um, trajectory of our, of our thinking.
1: Got you, got you know, Makes sense, makes sense. Um, yeah. <clears throat> now, usually I'm asking a director about... about um, how how the performances worked. Now I've got I've got one of the stars with me now, so I can so go do. the other way on this. Um, yeah. So don't, don't try not to embarrass Sammy Luke. Um, <laughs> but but thinking about obviously you've worked. You, you've, your first step was working together as collaborators on the screenplay, which is yeah. which is much more of a shared shared joint effort. You know to get to a shared vision. Now yeah. that's not to say director and actors don't share a vision in terms of their character, but. Yeah. <clears throat> How how easy or hard was it for you to sort of allow yourself to sort of be directed by the person you've co-wrote it with for a character that you've kind of been through all the iterations? Um, yep. How could you how could you not in a way know more know more or at least the same as in terms of what's achieved? And I'm and I'm guessing in sense I'm trying to think there it's a long way of me saying you know the, in the way that a a director sort of in charge of a film set, will be of directing is in casting. So if you've got the right person, then directing is easy, so to speak.
2: Yeah, no, um, I I think it was a really interesting process. What I will say is um, it was a really good process in the end because I think if we were to film this five years ago, Mm -hmm. I think uh, my lack of education, so to speak, Mm. would have probably led to more, more conflict. But I think in the way that me and Sam... Have kind of developed our relationship. Um, you know, uh, bear in mind, me and Sam also worked to produce this together. Um, we very much got on this this parity, this this level playing field, where I think we both kind of understood and were very open to hearing each other's thoughts. I think one thing me and Sam, um, you know, we've been working on a second feature recently, and one thing we we joked about was how we still approach meetings with each other as if someone, you know, one of us is going to hate the other's idea. Um, And it couldn't be further from the truth. I think we kind of know what we expect from each other now as far as when we deliver a point of view. So there's never really, you know, as long as you can deliver it, back it up, make a suggestion why this is being done and not just say, well, this is wrong and then walk out. um, I think we've kind of got a good uh, pitter patter with each other. Um, And I think that applied itself on set. with my character and with the other actors. I think one thing that I'm really glad we, you know, Sam alluded to, we were quite a tight schedule and shooting fast, but one thing we made sure we did was allocate plenty of time before each scene to talk it through the actors, to, to get their ideas, get their thoughts on how the scene should play out. Sam would obviously deliver his sort of ideas as well. And it, it really was a nice sort of experience of a, of a group working together to to, make sure the characters are all on the same page Um, and so yeah I I think similar to even when we were writing the script and all the various iterations it went through over the years I think it just I don't think we ever really had a point where we were well no I think he should do this and you were like I think he should do the absolute opposite I think but out of
1: interest though how do you manage um, the the, um, this is just you and me talking now no one else is listening Um, (laughs) How do you manage when an act, and one of your cast comes to you, knowing you're the producer as well as a, a fellow cast member, yeah. and says, I wasn't sure of my performance earlier this morning. Do you think we yeah. could do it again? How, how yeah. did you manage that? Obviously, you're not the director, and the director clearly has thought it's okay. How, how, yeah. did, did anything like any of, that, any of that kind of potential conflict arise, and how do you manage that? It, it
2: did actually. Um, oh wow! It did. <laughs> uh, and, well, no, 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 it, it, it a bit, It's a It's perfectly. It's it's just an interesting one where I think just because I had spent so long putting the project together, yeah, and because very much I was the one on the emails and the one uh, organising the, the script rehearsals and all these kind of things, hmm. um, I think there is that there is that default that people think they need to come to me sometimes, and that did happen a few times, but oh, then. Okay. But again, when I said, you know, if, if we did this five years ago, maybe it, it would have been different because we, all of us, and not just me, all of us were a bit um, less put together. Um, so I think we just, nowadays, I think we just reached a point where we were ready to make it. I mean, I, I used to get so annoyed how many years it took us to get the finance in, to get the logistics and the, get the right crew. Mm. But I do think all of that and all those years were actually a necessity because that was our film school. Um, And it built up to this point where if someone came to me on set and said, oh, I've got this idea and I'm not too sure about it, what do you think? And I'd be like, well, let's go have a chat with Sam. And because ultimately me, Sam, and the uh, three other producers, we'd all agreed what everyone's job description was. Yeah. And um, you know, there's there's no doubt that Sam would consult me on ideas and and making choices. But as far as we were concerned, this was Sam's directorial vehicle. And so if Sam said he wanted it to be like that, I'm not going. I'm going to give my point of view, but we're going to go down that route. And I think similar to when we're writing the scripts, you know, they always talk about you know kill your darlings and all this kind of thing. You do have to to let go. I mean, a lot of people have asked me. Since, since we've sort of finally got this made, a lot of people have come up to me going, Oh, can we have some advice? And how did you get this made? How did you go about all these different things? And the one thing I definitely always start with is, is you've got to let go a bit. I definitely started this project trying to wear all the hats, trying to have all the control. And you've got to let go and get the right people on board and let them have their input and let them do their job, which. I think as a producer, sometimes producers overstep their boundary uh, to a detriment. So, yeah, no, but it's a really interesting and it's a great question because it was it just certainly did come up on set quite a few times.
1: Yeah, no, I I was speaking to uh, the author of um, a book called uh, Guide to Indie Filmmaking and And it was what, what you've just described was almost like the thrust of the book, really, in the sense of, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say don't know. It's like the idea that you could know everything. And I think your your five years ago example is quite is quite a solitary lesson in the <laughs> sense that we all we all are eager, because that's that's why we've decided to try and make films. And there's a there's a want to have done it yesterday and not wait for tomorrow. And tomorrow there's a whole load of lessons we've learned by the time we get to tomorrow that actually make us better prepared <laughs> and make we're <laughs> more ready. And I think that's a really nice exactly. the way you framed it is quite nice. So it's a world premiere and <laughs> you wanna tell people when and where they can see it at Frightfest. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you want to announce the date and everything, then please do.
2: Sure. Um, so our world premiere of Criminal Audition will be at the Prince Charles Theatre on the 24th of August at 3.30pm. Come on
1: down. Well, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. No problem at all. It was right. a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Stuart. It's great.
1: The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.